This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison with Ian Doyle, Theo Squires and Dan Kay alongside me as we review the game with Crystal Palace and preview the EFL Cup tie with Norwich City. Doyle, I'll come to you first. You were there at the weekend, as was I, for the 3-0 win over Patrick Vieira's side and there's plenty to get stuck into in that. But first and foremost, what were your general thoughts on the game? After an intense week for Liverpool, a couple of of big fixtures, they seem to to get the job, job done relatively straightforward and, and easily? Well, I wouldn't say it was relatively straightforward and easy, to be honest. I thought Palace were quite good. I was quite impressed with Palace. I thought they, in the first you know, 10, 15 minutes, they'd obviously made a decision to have a go at the Liverpool defence, which, not surprising, given the fact that it was completely changed and you had Canati making his debut and Simicast only made, making his something like third or fourth Premier League appearance. So, didn't blame them for that. Seemed to be a little bit windy as well at the start, which kind of caught, I think it caught the players out, certainly caught me out watching it. So it was a little bit unsettling at first, but then Liverpool, you know, once they got, got control of the game, did quite well first half. You did wonder whether or not it was going to be another one of those games where they didn't get the get the breakthrough and, you know, all three goals ended up coming from corners, which uh, I'm sure something but only a couple of years ago you just wouldn't believe. I do suspect it's down to the pure weight of corners that Liverpool forced that are actually scoring off them at the moment. But Simicas' delivery, certainly for the for the first two, was pretty good. That, that caused most of the problems. Second half, I thought, again, Palace, they just went for it, didn't they? They had nothing to lose. They just threw players on. I thought the sub, Edouard, did quite well. I mean, it was interesting. I know we're going to get on, on, on Canate a little bit later on, but he, he couldn't, in some ways, he couldn't really have asked for a tougher game to come into because that was a team, an away team, that just kept on throwing on attackers. And kind of he was left to it a little bit, I, susp- I think, you know, because that's just the way that Liverpool play, the way that Liverpool defend. I know Van Dijk was there. He helped him out a little bit. It was interesting, actually, that for once, Van Dijk was kind of targeted. Benteke went straight onto Van Dijk and just thought, I'm just going to have a go at you for most of the game. And he didn't really get anywhere, did he? But overall, Liverpool's performance, obviously, it was, was but as you said, bearing in mind they played Milan, what was it, three, three days earlier. And that had been a tough game. I thought they did. Well, I thought Thiago played really well until he got injured, unfortunately. I think there was one or two decent performances and the keeper played really well. I mean, he made one or two saves that were, you know, as we saw it, the, the very early one with Sahar, we touched it onto the post and that there was there was a couple from uh, from Edouard, wasn't there, in the, in, the, in the second half. So that makes it sound as though Liverpool perhaps scraped it, but I don't think they scraped it, but I do think that 3-0 was perhaps a little bit flattering to them. If, if Palace had scored one, I don't think anybody could have complained. Yeah, I think it's going to be so tight this season, Theo, in terms of the Premier League title. These are the games that Liverpool have to win and, and have to get into that groove of being able to, to grind out results. And not least, of course, because Manchester City, as a few Liverpool fans inside Anfield noted, had obviously slipped up against Southampton. Um, well, this is probably one of the games that, apart from last season, they were winning. Like Liverpool have, under Jurgen Klopp, been very good at beating the lesser teams in the division. And I suppose it's a, almost a surprise that it was a bit more difficult for them against Crystal Palace. But this isn't Roy Hodgson's Palace anymore. It's not a team that's just going to defend. And if you're good enough, you'll break through your score and then you'll win quite easily. Patrick Vieira is obviously introducing this new style to them. And it's one where maybe if they'd started Edouard, if he was a bit more used to Premier League football, they'd have caused Liverpool a bit more of a threat because he's more mobile than Benteke. But then you can understand why they wanted Benteke up front there to be that battering ram. As Doyley mentioned, and then shakiness of Liverpool is probably that makeshift defence, which is still four very good players, even if James Milner was thrown in at the last minute. 
but it, it's quite telling, isn't it, that we know or well, we feel it's going to be this big four-team title race until the proper business end of the season, that every single point dropped at this stage already feels like it's a massive uh, for any team still. And like you're thinking now, the, the Chelsea draw, if Liverpool had managed to beat the 10 men there, they'd be top and that, that would have felt huge. It's like you don't give away those advantages. We have seen it in recent seasons, like City the last couple of years, where they've just gone that unbeaten run for half a season when Liverpool finished second by a point and both teams just went unbeaten for half a season. Every little slip-up counts. So it's important getting this advantage early on. Um, you've got City-Chelsea next week, which is going to be huge for the title race because Liverpool finishing that weekend top with that little advantage. You'd like to think it's going to be more like the title-winning year when they can hold on to it and it's like, oh, come at us, rather than last year where it all just fell apart at Christmas. I said before, Dan, it was it was relatively easy. Obviously, Crystal Palace are a decent side and, and we shouldn't forget that. They obviously, I think did they beat Tottenham 3-0 the, the week before. They've obviously got something about them. But I suppose for Liverpool, it, it is, as Theo says, this is the norm, isn't it? Last season was the exception. This is what we should be getting used to again. Yeah, well, I think Liverpool are now, was it 14 or 15 games unbeaten, including you know the, the, the run into last season, which is comfortably clear of anybody else in terms of an unbeaten run in the Premier League um, at the moment. Um, it, was, it was a good performance. It was a bit patchy. Um, you know, there was a spell mid, midway through the second half when um, Liverpool seemed to drop off and, and, and Palace had, you know, were kind of dictating things for 10, 15 minutes. And Edouard, even though he did play quite well, he had one big chance across from the right-hand side that really just needed like a first-time half volley and he tried to control it and made a bit of a mess of it. But I think the impressive thing about Liverpool nowadays is that they're able to ride out these little spells of games and and kill them off. And just as you were starting to worry that, you know, have Liverpool lost their way in this game? Uh, you know, is, is there a danger of, you know, what, as Theo said, over the last few years, <laughs> until Jurgen Klopp arrived, the last 25 years really could have been characterised by so many of, of the games that Liverpool should be winning that they, that they haven't been winning. They beat the top teams and then loot and then drop points to the lesser teams. That hasn't really happened so much in the last four or five years. And, we saw it again on Saturday when, after a slightly iffy spell midway through the second half, um, Mo Salah thumped that volley in from the from the corner at the cop end, and, and and that was game over really. And then you know Nat Naby Keita really was just adding the the icing on the cake. But it was it, 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 I'd agree with Doyle. You know it was it the it was three 0 maybe did slightly flat flatter Liverpool, but it was encouraging that these kind of games is always the dangerous and they were after the Lord Mayor's show after a big European night. Um, you know, even though they, they mix the team up a little bit, there's always the danger of, um, you know, not not being able to build on that and carry on carry on that momentum. And with Palace having you know battered Tottenham, who were, who I think won three out of three before the game the previous weekend, and I think we're we're unchanged and clearly you know new manager full of beans, full of optimism. Liverpool handled them pretty well, and um, you know it it was. It, it still feels like a real pleasure and a privilege just to be just to be back in Anfield, doesn't it? I mean, this was what the the third league game back after a year and a half of missing it, and I think it was it was a lovely sunny day, and I think everybody streamed out of Anfield at ten to five on on Saturday, feeling that um, job done. Who's next? Yeah, absolutely, very positive. One of the biggest positives for me, I think, Doyle, was the performance of Ibrahim Konate at the back. Obviously, his debut, his first competitive minutes. There was a couple of shaky moments, a couple of bits where he looked a little bit nervous, I thought. But generally speaking, considering he was coming up against Benteke and, and Edward, as you say, I mean, it was a, a, a relatively impressive first performance from him in front of the Anfield crowd. It was interesting what Jürgen Klopp said after the game. He said, look, we know he's a strong lad, <clears throat> but... 
it's one thing to be knocking players over just because of your pure strength. It's another when you come into the Premier League and you start doing that. And I think that possibly was in reference to uh, his little tussle with Zaha. And I'm not sure whether Crystal Palace thought that was a pen or not. Don't think they did, and it wasn't really. But it was just interesting because he had then he had one with Benteke, didn't they? Where he just about got enough of a foot on the shots and it ended up going for a corner. In the second half, it was the same with Edward. But that time, he actually got beaten by him. But again, just got... If you watch the replay, it looks like a save by Allison, which it was in the end, but it was probably going wide anyway because Canati got back and got his foot on the ball just to, you know, just to, to clear it. And I think, you know, the, yeah, there were one or two moments, certainly early on, where, it, where he kind of contributed, as I said before, to that kind of early kind of, you know, uncertainty, which, as I said, you, you've got to expect that if he's somebody coming into a, a back line that's completely fresh, completely new. It was interesting as well, I thought, that Van Dyke played alongside him. I don't think there'd have been anybody else who would have played against alongside Canati for his debut. I think Van Dyke was the right person. And that's another benefit of Van Dyke being possibly ahead of what everybody thought. I mean, I don't think any of us thought that he'd be playing this many games this early into the season, just like about six weeks ago. Because, yeah, I don't even think he'd even played six weeks ago. I think he'd just played the first game, hadn't he? Or just round about then. Maybe actually about seven weeks ago, wasn't it? Where he came on a substitute. So, story just to cover your back. Yeah, well, you know, no one's going to check up on these things. They won't quote <laughs> me on that, will they? Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but he's he's been ahead of schedule, and that's kind of had the knock-on effect of a Canati hasn't had to come in as soon as he, perhaps he, Liverpool might may not want him to come in as quickly as that, uh, and they haven't had to. But also, then when he has come in, he's had Van Dijk next to him to help see him through the game. When you consider, as you say, that you had. Uh, on uh, was he playing on the he was playing on the the right wasn't he? So he had James Milner to his right, so he certainly had a lot of experience at right back to help him through, but hardly a you know a, a right back as such. You know we know James Milner he's he spent a little bit at left back, but he's a midfielder really, isn't he? So Canati can be happy with with what he's done. He's got that under his belt. He's got his first clean sheet, got his first win, got his first downfield appearance. So he's ticked off an awful lot of boxes, and he's had that as Klopp said that bit of an eye opener of what. You expect when you're playing in the Premier League and you're coming up against these players, and it's it's going to be like that for most weeks for him now. Whatever when he plays, I think for me, Theo, it, it kind of underlined the the sort of strength of, of him and, and obviously the the standing within the squad that Jurgen Klopp trusted him to to come into this game. It there would have been a temptation, I think, from a lot of people to put him in against Norwich tomorrow night, for example, for his first minutes and, and go from there, but. Klopp didn't do that. He decided to, to put him straight in, straight into the Premier League. Yeah, that, that's something I thought Klopp would have done. It seems like Norwich was the game that would make sense to have given his first minutes. It's not a risk. And we know players sometimes do need a little bit of time to get up to the standards to play in this Liverpool team under Jurgen Klopp. But then I think it's almost a change of approach from Liverpool. Like I know if you speak to them or any of the coaching staff, they'll all very much say it's one game at a time. They're only focused on the game that's in front of them. But for this little spell, when they're rotating more, it does feel like they're looking at the games together as a package. Like you're saying, well, we can't do Virgil van Dijk or Joel Matip three games in a week. Which game can we rest one player and rotate a little? I mean, you've had this little run there. It is a case of it is not the strongest 11 and it's not your weakest available 11. It's about getting that best combination out there. And I think we'll probably see similar against Norwich. But then when you've had all these doubts about Liverpool's strength and depth, partly because we didn't really see much from them last year because Jurgen Klopp didn't want to turn to them because he needs to have stability in the side where he can. Now he's able to look at them. Now we'll be able to say 
oh, Costa Simicas, he's actually quite a good left back. He's a more than capable reserve option there for Andy Robertson. You're looking at the midfield options. There's been a lot of rotation there, and I don't think anyone's stood out as necessarily weaker than anyone else. They've all come in and done the job. Not seen so much in the front three, but Divock Origi against Milani came in, did well. Um, you'd imagine we might see Minamino tomorrow night. But, but there are other players there. We've always said Liverpool have got the options. It's just whether you have faith in the quality. And Jurgen Klopp obviously does. He's, they've always come out and said, whether it's like an Oxlade-Chamberlain or a Simicast, they've got faith in them. They just need the minutes to show what they can do. With Oxlade-Chamberlain, we've seen what he can do in the past. Now it's about giving them those opportunities. And I think that's what we're starting to see. And it seems to be beneficial, doesn't it? Because when Liverpool looked tired for that middle spell of last season, when they couldn't rotate because they didn't have the depth, now you can lose Harvey Elliott, you can lose Thiago to injury, and you're not down to your bare bones. You've still got a few players you can rotate and still looking fresh going into each game. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. James Milner, Dan got a, a quick mention before, but I wanted to, to have another quick chatter about him. He only found out a couple of hours before kickoff that he was going to be playing in that one. Plays in a, an unfamiliar position as well, but I thought he was probably one of, of Liverpool's best players on the day. He was absolutely tremendous again, wasn't he? I mean, <clears throat> when we had the two years of Gary McAllister, I think we all said Liverpool will never get a better free signing than him. <clears throat> But I think I think Milner maybe maybe has taken that title from him now. I mean, I think I'm right in saying this is his sixth sixth season, twenty fifth summer twenty fifteen. Yeah, well, math has always been lousy. But it, it was it was the summer of twenty fifteen that he that he arrived. Oh. Obviously, he's helped Liverpool win the biggest prizes in the game. But his versatility, his versatility, his longevity, his example, you know, you know, is is has been an absolute godsend for Jurgen Klopp. I mean. For, for me, the most enjoyable aspect of his, of his match on Saturday was just the, the little gnarly little nudges and fouls that he seems to get away with. I, I did read one report that he, 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 he managed, how he avoided a booking, I'm not sure, because there, there were at least five fouls that he quite, could quite easily have seen in the yellow for. And if I was a Palace fan, <coughs> I probably wouldn't be quite so impressed. But probably the reason he didn't get booked is because <clears throat> his experience, he's savvy enough that when he does these kind of tackles, he doesn't make it too obvious. And maybe just his general demeanour keeps refs on side, and they may be less likely to throw a yellow at him because they, because he hasn't wound up in other aspects of his game. But <clears throat> I think particularly for like the Canati, obviously we've, we've been speaking about in the first part of this. I think you know, the assurance of having somebody like Milner alongside him would have been absolutely invaluable. Talking him through the game, giving him that Leo, you know, being alongside him, helping him where you know, know where to be, where not to be, what to do. How, how to manage, you know, they've got some good players, Palace, Zaha and Edouard, and, you know, it, it's, it seems quite a long time since Palace have really been in any real threat of relegation, and I don't think they will be this season either. But, um, yeah, he's, 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 he's been an absolute joy um, and, 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 a, and a real stalwart of, of the Jurgen Klopp here. And chatting to, to, chatting to my pal alongside me in the ground on, on Saturday, he's, at the, he's out of contract in the summer, isn't he? And I think I'm writing saying he'll be 36 soon. If he's January is his birthday, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, whether he gets another playing contract you know, in the summer, you'd be a bit surprised. But um, it's been talked of before, but if Liverpool were to decide to give him a role on the coaching staff, I don't think there would be any complaints from anybody. And I think a lot of people would really welcome that because I think you would, you would, you would have to go a long way to find somewhere 
to find someone with his knowledge, his experience, and you know, for someone who's not from Liverpool and obviously has spent, you know, most, well, I was going to say he spent most of his career elsewhere. I'm sure I read somewhere over the weekend, Milner will actually have played, you know, by the end of the season, Milner will have played for Liverpool more than any of his other clubs. I think he's already, he's already made more appearances for Liverpool than anybody else. There you go. Yeah, well, and, and I think maybe most people would be quite surprised at that because you kind of associate, obviously broke through at Leeds, associating with, with City and Villa and Newcastle. But he's been he's been an absolute diamond for Liverpool. And, and if Liverpool, if Klopp and the club do decide to keep him on board, to, you know, I can't think of anyone better to help shepherd through the next generation and to provide that knowledge and experience behind the scenes. Yeah, an absolute top professional, James Milner. And Mohamed Salah is another of those top professionals, though. Another goal for him, his and, well, particularly his representative's bargaining position over a new contract is getting a little bit stronger by the week, I would think. Um, I don't think it's actually got any stronger. It's just been reminded of what it is, to be honest. He's not doing anything different to what he did last season or the season before that or the season before that or the season before that. And I think that's the, that's the entire point, isn't it? What was it? A goal and te- well, technically two kind of what what Christian Walsh, our former colleague, well, he still works for the company, but he's not on here, um, uh, would call hockey assists. You could count that, couldn't you? The header was saved, Manny scores and uh, the corner... Van Dyke and I can't remember. No, it wasn't. It was just punched out, wasn't it? The Kato one. It was his corner, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's, he's kind of a man for all seasons, as I've just said for for Liverpool. He, you know, even when it was interesting actually, the, the bit in the second half where when Liverpool, as, as Dan said, Palace had that fifteen, you know, twenty minutes of pressure, and you could tell that Liverpool were in a little bit of trouble, and Salah was back in his own box mm-hmm. doing the defending, and he has done this before, and he's. I remember there was one game where Liverpool played Swansea after they'd beaten Man City 4-3. And they got beat 1-0. And Klopp had a massive kickoff, well, by his definition. But he was speaking to the press afterwards and was saying, look, it's all very well for these players to be scoring these goals, but there's more to football than just scoring goals you need to defend. And really, ever since that, Salah and I think it was Manny on the opposite wing, they've always been tracking back. But it just became more pronounced with Trent not being there. There was more of a, an emphasis on, oh, well, on, who's going to help James Milner here? And Salah was back there helping out. There was that one bit where he, you know, he gave, he, what was it, Sahar? He needed to go send him for some new ankles, wasn't he? Where he did that little turn inside the, inside his own penalty inside his own penalty area. He did the kind of turn that he'd normally be doing in the other in the other penalty area. So that tells you the state of mind that he's in. And we've said this for I think said it in the last podcast, but we had that spell where he, people saying he wasn't celebrating his goals. Look at him for the three goals on Saturday. You know, he's up in the air, he's, he's bouncing. He, he is absolutely loving playing for Liverpool at the moment. He's loving the fact that he's winning. He's loving the fact that he's on top of his game. And he's loving the fact that he doesn't need to be anywhere else. And I'm pretty sure, deep down, he would like to stay at Liverpool. And it's just a matter of, you know, cracking the heads together, getting the numbers right, getting whatever the length of the contract is, and then and getting it sorted. Because I'm pretty sure if it was up to him, he'd sign now. Yeah, most certainly. That celebration certainly told you a, a lot about where his head is at, I think. And yeah, really, really impressive from him. And another player that I, I wanted to pick out, Theo, was, was Naby Keita. I thought he was quite impressive against Milan midweek. Came on, obviously scores the goal. But perhaps the most impressive thing is that he's just not got injured yet. <laughs> You're going to jinx him now, you aren't killed you? Him. You killed him. Well done. <laughs> Would you mention That's that? That's on Jonah. <laughs> now, um... Yeah, I suppose there's a few players in Liverpool squad who have got that injury cloud over their heads. And Touchwood are staying fit at the moment. 
Um, but then I think that's been the case for going a while back. Like you can say that about Daniel Sturridge in his last season, the club he didn't really pick up many injuries despite that reputation. It was just he wasn't in the starting eleven. Whereas this year we've seen a bit more of Naby Keita. But it's all very well saying it at the end of September. We've got to be saying it come May. I think well Thiago's going to be out for a few weeks now. Keita seems to be that fourth choice central midfielder. He's going to be the one who's picking up those opportunities, and he just needs to keep delivering. Maybe he's not going to be this. Uh, box-to-box dynamic midfielder we thought we're going to be because we're seeing him more in this Wijnaldum role in the, this season, but still doing a good job. And if he can score uh, vol- volleys like that when he comes on, and everyone's happy. It's one of the best goals we're going to see in the Premier League at Liverpool this year. Such a good strike. You just want him to be able to push on now. It's one where his contract's up in, what, a couple of years? Uh, it's now or never for Naby Keita. If he doesn't make a big impact this season then you're going to imagine it's not going to be for him long-term, is it? That's whether Liverpool decide to sell next summer or if they just let him see out his contract. This is the time where he can prove that they were right to spend that money on him. He's had time now to settle in the Premier League. He's had more than enough time to settle in the Premier League. It's about delivering and showing that he is ready to make that big step up. Um, I think we were looking at a comparison with like Paul Pogba um, at the start of the season. I'm not sure if we ever wrote it in the end. There's one, if you look at Pogba's returns, it wasn't until his like third, fourth season at United where he really took it onto the ne- that next level. And granted, he played a lot more football than Cater has done in the past couple of seasons. But maybe now, when he is going to get more opportunities because he is trusted further up that pecking order, we can start to see it from him more consistently. Obviously, the, the injury to Thiago Dan isn't ideal for anyone. It's going to be at least a, a couple of games. But I suppose if there is somebody looking at that as a possible little opportunity for the next couple of weeks, it, it probably would be Naby Keita. Yeah, very much so. Or, or, or possibly Curtis Jones as well, who who, who came on, on Saturday and, and had a nice little cameo, looked light on his feet and energetic. And um, it's frustrating with Thiago because, you know, he, he started the season well and um, where I sit in the old Kenlin Road stand, they kind of can see down the tunnel. And as he as he was hobbling down the tunnel, having been substituted, he kind of stopped and leaned against the wall as he carried the rest of the way. And you know, not everybody in the ground would have seen that, but I did, and that, and that did make me slightly concerned as to you know how severe the injury would be. We've had an update from the club this lunchtime, haven't we, saying that you know he, he won't play in the two games this week. So hopefully, it's maybe not bad. It's not as bad as. I and you know, some others might have initially feared, but yeah, K- K- you know, Cater um, did see one amusing. He, 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 he scored that wonderful goal and then kind of pulled a bit of an Eric Cantona celebration, didn't he? A bit of a kind of a sneer, you know, wistful look in his eye. And some people, I saw some someone put a comment to it like, "When you hit a volley and you can't believe your hamstring is not just gone," because obviously it it's been and then, you know every we've been in this position with him how many times over the last three and a bit years where you just think, is this the case that we thought we were signing? And then another injury happens. But um, it does seem like he's, he's he's maturing into the role that Klopp sees for him, which maybe isn't the dynamic box-to-box midfielder that we thought we were getting back in 2017, 2018. But, um, you know, he's, he's, he's part of this squad. He has been for quite a long time. And hopefully now there's an opportunity for him to really grasp the opportunity in front of him, take the ball by the horn, so to speak. And make a case for Jurgen Klopp to say, this is what I can do. You can't afford to leave me out. You know, it, as one door, one door closes for Thiago, it, it, we hope in the short term, it may well be opening for, for Naby and it's up to, him to, up to him to take it now. 
There certainly could be an opportunity for Naby to take hold of and fingers crossed he can prove me wrong and, and stay injury free for the next couple of weeks at least. But we'll move on then to a, a preview of Norwich City having covered Crystal Palace fairly extensively there. Earlier on today, Dolly, we heard from Pep Linders previewing the game instead of Jurgen Klopp and you can of course see the full press conference from him across the Blood Red channel. But I just wanted to, to mention how impressive he is whenever he speaks. I, I just find him so interesting to listen to. I know we hear from Jurgen Klopp a lot and obviously we, we so at, so at times it's, it feels like every other day that we speak to, to Jurgen Klopp and hear what he has to say. But Pep Linder's just a, a bit of a, a breath of fresh air really with some really interesting and, and insightful comments. Before we go any further, is it Pep Linder's or Pep Linder's? It's definitely Pep Linder's. It's definitely, it definitely, Pep, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I spoke we've all been pronouncing it wrong. I spoke to, to somebody oh, who yeah. used to work with him at Porto and, and he assures me it's it's Pepine Linders. Pepine Linders. It's like, it's like Count. That's not how you pronounce Dirk Count. It's actually pronounced Dirk Count. That's how you actually pronounce it. Which I, I, I do it's pronounced something else, Doily, but uh, we won't say that on this podcast because we're oh, live. What, what, <laughs> yeah, why do you have to lower the tone? For anybody, for anybody who's, not, who's, who's actually not watching this podcast, Theo is wearing, I can only describe as a headset that looks like he's just coming into land. Right, he's, it's, it's it's slightly over the top compared to what. Though he's, you have had some problems with your microphone in the past, so he's committed to the cause though. So well done. Uh, what was the question? Oh yeah, Pep, Pep Linders. Sorry, Pep, Pep Linders. Linders. Yes. Um, yeah, he's always an impressive talker. The interesting thing is that you can just tell he absolutely loves football. That's the one thing you get from it. He just loves the game, and he loves the whole. Obviously, somebody's come from the from the background, which he, he made mention of that he's come like through. An academy. He's been an academy coach and he's been a youth coach. Now, obviously, he had a little spell in Holland in the brief spell where he's an actual first team manager. I think possibly he's like one of those that's a better assistant and a better coach than actual a top, you know, the, the main man, as it were. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because there's absolutely loads and loads of people who are, who are better equipped for that. And he's certainly one of the best ones around at the moment. But the enthusiasm that he shows, you can see what the players must absolutely love it in training. He's always come up with, you know, he's very inventive. You just you can tell from what he's saying that he believes in what he said. He believes in the squad. He believes in the players. He believes in bringing through the youngsters, which is why, you know, which is probably why, as well as probably Jurgen Klopp wants a bit of a rest from speaking to us a lot, is that, that Pep gets these uh, press conferences for the for the League Cup games because we'll get on to the team select in a bit. And um, there will be some players who've, who've not played before or haven't played that often and come through the academy. Yeah, I mean, I, I do actually quite list, like listening to him. Um, I thought it was even more in, it was more interesting than normal. I thought today because, and that might be just because we haven't heard from him in quite some time. So, yeah, he said one or two interesting things. Interesting on Curtis Jones made the very good point of saying that Curtis Jones he confirmed he's playing uh, tomorrow. It's going to be his fiftieth appearance for Liverpool. I think people you know sometimes forget that. He's confirmed that you know Queen Keller is going to be in goal, which we kind of knew. You know, he spoke well on on the link between you know that they've got the academy, between, you know, Peter Matos, the, the the elite development path, you know, that they that the players follow and how you can see that by them all being on the same uh, same facility up at Kirby now, with the under twenty threes and the first team are working together, it's kind of bearing fruit, and I think we will see a bit of that. Certainly saw a bit of that in the, in the summer when when quite a lot of the youngsters went out and uh, some of them stayed out as well, didn't they? Uh, they sent some stayed out for the full duration of that three or four week training camp and for the, those players to be traded alongside because Salah was there for the entire time wasn't he Mane players like that 
that's invaluable. Not just not just actually training with them twice twice a day, but also being around him, seeing what they're like. These are like the top professionals, top of the game. And maybe in a couple of years' time, these players will go, "Wow, all that stuff that I learned there. Now I'm going to apply. I'm applying it to my game." And then a bit later on, they'll be passing it on to someone else. A little bit like, say, for example, I know he didn't. I know he didn't come through the Liverpool ranks, but Jordan Henderson when he was with Steven Gerrard when he first started. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that Liverpool are looking to build. I mean, it's the same at every other club, but Liverpool have got this great opportunity because clearly the relationship between the academy and the first team is so strong because of the people that they've got in those positions. The fact they're on the same facility and they've got people like Pep Linders and uh, and Jurgen Klopp, as he's probably now pronounced, <laughs> um, that they believe in, in youngsters and will give them a chance. And, you know, in our profession as well, if you, you've got to be given a chance to prove yourself, and that's what Liverpool are doing. And, and, and I've been proven right with several players just this season. Harvey Elliott, for example. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think one of the, the most interesting bits was when he was speaking about Cade Gordon, and obviously there's there's other really good talents coming through as well, Theo. But I think you could just see on Pep Linders' face, you could just see how excited he is about Cade Gordon, and quite rightly as well. Yeah, like the question was about Cade, but normally you'd get coaches and managers, they don't want to put the pressure on the younger players, do they? They don't want to name them because you're going to get that attention on them so early on and then people look out for them and then if the best player in the world, you can think they've fallen short or whatever. Um, I think Trent was an exception when he came through, wasn't he? He got uh, some attention in one of Steven Gerrard's many autobiographies and he's like, well, we certainly lived up to that potential. And you feel with Cade Gordon, it's a case of, well, it's going to be another one. He's got this talent there. The fact that he's been fast-tracked into the squad. He's only been a Liverpool player for, what, nine months? And he's already had a full pre-season with the first team. And it wasn't just a, a token gesture. Oh, you're a younger player. We've got a few players who aren't here because of international duty. He was part of it because he deserved to be. And he was involved in all the games. And I think they've said quite early on that you'll probably get this running in the League Cup games. And this is what we're going to see um, tomorrow, you'd imagine, against Norwich, whether it's from the start or off the bench. But he does look like a really promising player. And it was interesting as well how um, <coughs> Pep Linders was saying when the, you can tell the senior players when they've got that respect for him, when it's uh, James Milner having the conversations with him or it's Trent being a mentor to him, having him come down, you think, well, they must see something in him as well to get that excited about a player. And it's easy to forget he's only 16. Like Harvey Elliott was 16 and we saw a couple of bits from him. But I suppose we didn't see as much from him in, when he was that age because he joined later in pre-season. He had a couple of friendlies and he had a couple of League Cup games. That was still quite late in the summer. Here we've had this time for Kate Gordon to bed in, then get the opportunity. And now you just want to see what he can do. Granted, he might not make uh, a hatful of appearances this season. He'll probably have to get used to a couple of cup appearances here and there. But if he can, say, finish the season with Premier League debut, a few games in the Cups in a decent cup run, and that's happy days for him. And then you look excited to see what he can do next year, the year after that, and the year after that. Because as we saw in this press conference, the coaching staff are definitely very much excited about this player. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. is a really exciting player and another really exciting young player. And, and Curtis Jones as well, obviously, broke through last season. The interesting thing for me, we know that Curtis Jones is definitely going to start against Norwich. But the interesting thing for me is whether that's in midfield or whether that's on the left-hand side of the attack. I wrote something myself earlier in the week to say that I think his best position might be a little bit further forward. But I suppose for now, it's it's not a bad thing to be able to play in both positions for him. Absolutely. I think it's hugely, hugely advantageous to the likes of Curtis and other players 
to show that kind of versatility. We we're just talking talking about James Milner. I think every manager that's dealt with him throughout Milner's career would probably say that Milner's ability to perform to a high level in a number of roles is one of the things that's made him so indispensable to them. Um, so for Curtis and other players coming through, if you're able to, you know, you never you you're always wary of the jack of all trades, master of none uh, syndrome. But um, for the likes of Curtis. He's already shown um, he's got bags of ability. One thing that's really impressed me over the last year, you know, 18 months to two years with him is his mentality and his maturity. You know, young Scouse lad, full of, you know, quite typical Scouse confidence stroke arrogance at times. And it's that different mentality of when you're the cock of the walk in the youth team and you're, you know, you're probably better than virtually every other player on the pitch. How to kind of tailor that mentality and tailor and, and, temper your enthusiasm when all of a sudden you're playing with the big boys. And one thing I think we've seen over the, you know, the 49 first team matches that Curtis has played for Liverpool so far is that growing maturity where he, you know, he's, he's not trying to beat seven men and bang one into the top corner every time. You know, the most important thing, particularly when you're playing in midfield, is to get the ball and give it to someone with the same coloured shirt on. And I think we've really seen the, you know, let's have it right, of course, as well. Curtis has scored Arguably one of the most celebrated goals of one of Liverpool, one of Liverpool's most celebrated ever seasons, when you know a very youthful Liverpool team knocks a full-strength Everton team out of the FA Cup, and you know if he never kicks another ball for Liverpool, it'll be remembered fondly for that. But since then, we've seen him go on to really demonstrate his progression, his development as a player, um, and it'll be, as you say, Matt, it will be interesting, interesting to see where he lines up tomorrow night and where he ends up playing the majority of his career, but. From my point of view, it's just fantastic to see a scouter in the team, not just getting our game here and there, bringing up his half-century games. And I think we've got a lot more to enjoy from, 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 from this lad, who hopefully is going to go on to have a really long and successful career in the red shirt. Yeah, certainly plenty more to come from Curtis Jones and from Cade Gordon, possibly tomorrow night. And we will get on now to our team selections. Doyley, we'll pick that sort of area of the pitch a little bit later on. We know that Grivin Kelleher is going to be in goal, but what's going to be your back four, do you think, for this one? Well, I know three of them. <clears throat> Left back will be Simakas. Centre-backs will be Phillips and Gomez, I reckon. Right back's tricky because you probably don't want to play... I mean, it wouldn't be tricky if... James Miller hadn't played against Crystal Palace, which he wasn't meant to, right? But I think they're going to need a defensive midfielder in midfield. And I don't think they're going to play Henderson and then they won't play uh, they won't play Fabinho yeah. either, I don't think. Don't think they play. And obviously, Thiago's injured. We know Trent's not going to be there. So it's an interesting one. Um, it's whether or not Jurgen Klopp wants to go stro- wants to go attacking. Because if he wants to go attacking, Conor Bradley will play right back, Right. And I think it's going to take, or or he could play Milner, but I think you know I'm going to go with Conor Bradley. There you go. <laughs> I've stumbled an hour over it, in, in, it out loud, basically. So I think Conor Bradley will play right back, but it could be Milner. I think it might be Joe Gomez. You know, I think it might be Conate and Phillips at centre back, Gomez one side and, and Simikas on the other. But Theo, who are you going to go for? Um, I'm throwing a bit of a curveball in here. The fact that he's looking at the games. As he is, with Andy Robertson coming out against Palace, you could argue maybe Robertson's coming back in or maybe Joel Matip's coming back in. That's the thing. that He's done it in the cup games before, hasn't he? He'll play one of these uh, senior players in each position. I think we saw it against with 
against Chelsea, was it, in the FA Cup a couple of years ago? Robertson was in that one. I think Mane might have been in that one as well. Jurgen Klopp does like to have a senior player in these positions to have a little bit of stability. You think, well, those are the two that dropped out against um, Palace. Maybe there are openings for them there. Um, for right back, I think if Thiago wasn't injured, it would be Milner at right back. But you do need him in midfield, as Doyle's just said. So I'd go along with Connor Bradley. Uh, you need to give Nat Phillips that first game. And then it's just, do you go Gomez or Matip? And then it's, what are you doing with your left-backs? It, it could be Robertson, just have that bit more of experience in there. But Simakas wouldn't do a bad job, would he? We've seen how well he's been doing this season so far. Yeah, plenty of options, Dan. Which which four are you going to go for? <laughs> which one then, Theo? Which one? <laughs> you know what and then choose it at the end of it. <laughs> 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 Well, I, I, to be honest, my knowledge of, of youth players isn't quite what it was. So I've actually been swatting up a little bit with Doyley's team selector piece that was published earlier this morning, uh, <laughs> just to kind of see who might be in the mix. And I was half tempted to possibly throw Owen Beck in at left-back, uh, Ian, Ian Rush's nephew. But um, bearing in mind what we've been saying about Klopp does like to have at least one kind of older head in each position, I think probably he will... Give give I, I I can see him putting Robinson in from the start Robertson in from the start just to get I wouldn't expect him to necessarily play ninety minutes. Bear in mind that we've got you know a, a testing match at Brentford on Saturday, but uh, yeah, Robbo at left back, Connor Bradley at right back, and Gomez and Phillips in the in the middle for me. Well, we saw it um, in the League Cup last year, didn't we? Like Van Dyke doing forty five minutes, Fabinho doing forty five mm. minutes. That could be something he'll do. They didn't quite have enough players. So they also Owen Beck played for the under twenty threes yesterday, so I don't. There's no chance he'll be playing. So. I think uh, Connor Bradley and Kay Gordon weren't involved, and Tyler Morton got subbed at half time. So they're the three you would expect Which to make. Indicative. Yeah. 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 At the very least, they'll be on the bench, <laughs> won't they? But uh, who are you going to put into your midfield, Doyle? I'm going to change formation, actually, for me. I'm going to go with a, a two of Cater and Milner. But who are you going to go for? It, but it's funny you should mention that because in the piece, I actually said they may want to change the formation for that very reason um, because they've, they've got quite a lot of attacking players. So they may just have two sitting a little bit deeper and you wouldn't really need the defensive midfielder then would you so it's a tough one he's an ever right back bradley connor bradley um the thing is i'm trying to get in my team i know all the players that need to get in it i don't really want to play milner basically but mm. if you're going to do that then i will play the four two three one and i would play curtis jones and naby Keita as the two theo three in midfield or two I'm sticking with three. Um, Milner, the holding one. Not playing Naby Keita because of Thiago's injury. So I want to save Naby Keita for the weekend. So it would be Oxlade-Chamberlain on one side, Curtis Jones on the other. Yeah, I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. I'd like to... I'd like to I'd forgotten about Thiago's injury. Yeah, I think Milner's going to have to play, I'm afraid. Sorry, James. Um, so, yeah, go back to the three and it'll be Milner, Jones and Oxlade-Chamberlain, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure James won't mind. Dan, are you picking him as well? That's the three I've got on my pad as well. He's got a pad as well. He's written it down. <laughs> yeah. Do my own work here. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You know, Milner was Milner was fantastic on um, Saturday, and we do need to you know in cryogenically freeze him almost because you know I, I think he's going to have a really important role to play for Liverpool, and you wouldn't ideally really like him to play two games in ninety six hours. But I don't really think there's an awful lot of alternative here, so. Hopefully, get the game won nice and early and then get him off and put him in cotton wool. Oh, he's captain as well, isn't he? So, gives him some experience in a young team. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would expect him to, to play. The only my front four is going to be Oxley chamberlain Arigi, Minamino and Curtis-Jones. So no Cade Gordon for me. He's going to have to come off the bench. Who are you going to go for in your... In fact, you've changed to a three now, haven't you? But who's I've your gone three? to a three, yeah. Are you so harsh? Um, I would have Arigi down the middle. Minamino's got to play because he just hasn't played all season. He's been on the bench five times out of six. Just written a piece on him. I hadn't realised that. On the right, going to go Gordon. But also that fits in with having Connor Bradley as, as right back because he'll have played with him quite a few times already this season with the under-23s. Mm. And if you've got Milner kind of sitting there and you possibly may want Curtis Jones open, oh, he's, he actually is more left side, isn't he? So you'd have Ox more on the right and that midfield three. But I do think this is, the, this is maybe one of those games where they need to build up certain relationships, which is why Phillips and Gomez have played together. And if you've got Connor Bradley and, and Gordon, they play together as well. That's another one. And you'd imagine that Minamino and Origi have done a fair bit in training. And the, and the midfielders have all played together on, on numerous occasions. Maybe, possibly not as a three, but certainly as in twos and twos and that stuff like that. So that'll be my team. Theo, who are you going to go with? Uh, Minamino on the left, Origi down the middle. I'm going Mane on the right because, like the logic with Robertson there, Klopp does like to play the odd senior player in these sorts of cup ties, and he was the one who was on the bench against Milan. So you think Salah's going to get the night off. Jota's not been at his best. He could probably do with a goal, but then he might need a nice little rest as well. So Mane scored in the last couple. We'll see. Give him a start. He can be the experienced head in this one. Yeah, certainly no Jota or, or Salah in my squad. They can have the, the night off. But Dan, who are you going to go with? No, I agree. I, I, I would give Jota and uh, Mane and Salah the night off. And I'm going Origi up front, Minamino on the left. And the effervescent Kai Gordon, who I think a lot of us are really looking forward to. You've seen little glimpses of him in pre-season um, for the under-23s and 18s. And I'm really excited to see what he can do for the first team on the big stage. And, um, you know, Klopp likes to give young kids a chance. You were saying just before, you know, throughout his reign, Dolly was making the point five ten minutes ago that that's been a recurring theme, and you know the prime example of that is Trent Alexander Arnold, who you know has become an absolute fundamental part of of of, of Liverpool's team, and and so I, I expect to see Gordon giving his head, and and let's see if he can justify the hype. Yeah, certainly wouldn't be the first time he's played at senior level either. Made his debut for Derby, of course, last season under Wayne Rooney. So certainly something to watch out for there. But just before we finish then, Doyle, we'll do our predictions as usual. Quite a hard one to predict, really, isn't it? Given we don't know who's going to play for either Norwich or for Liverpool. But I'm going to go with a 2-0 win. I think Liverpool get through. I think just to really, really annoy me, it'll be 2 all, and it'll go to penalties. And the penalty shootout will go to sudden death. And I can't pick a team who wins. Sorry. Fair enough. <laughs> Theo, penalties for you or, or normal time? Um, normal time, 2-1 Liverpool. Interesting. And Dan, just to finish us off? 3-1 to the Reds. Yeah, I'm sure Liverpool fans would certainly take that. We'll have all of the reaction, of course, to the game across to Liverpool Echo, Liverpool.com and the Blood Red channel. In addition to that as well, if you haven't already, make sure you head over to www.bloodredpodcast.co.uk to sign up for our Blood Red Club. Theo can go and do that after he's finished playing Flight Simulator. If you're watching along on YouTube, that will make sense. If you're not, it won't, but never mind. For now, from myself, Matt Addison, Ian Doyle, Theo Squires and Dan Kay. Until next time, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.